0: to the Show Up podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This week, we look at the concept of shadow, an aspect of our leadership lives that we found You really can't control the narrative that's occurred um, before we start to engage with our shadow and how that shapes and influences the way we lead. But crucially, once you start to explore that, you can start to realise the authentic story that sits inside you and then really start to work with that to develop yourself as a leader, not only in your capabilities of leading others, but crucially, in leading yourself. So as you listen, consider how your shadow shaping who you are today welcome everybody to uh, the next episode in the uh, in the show podcast series and as we start to as we started to explore this concept of leadership and and what it takes to be a leader in today's world. One of the things that I particularly noticed through my work with people and I know, you know, and I look forward to actually chatting with you boys about this today is this idea of the elements of us that show up and that help and hinder ourselves as leaders. Because, there's a lens that says we are the vessel by which leadership can happen. And there's lots of things that we've gone through in our entire lives that can mean, that can influence how we choose to lead, especially in times that are uncertain or times that are certain and we've got the skills and there's just some hidden force that kind of plays a role in all of this thing of leaders showing up the way that they do. And I thought, well, today it would be really cool to actually hear a bit from you boys about your experience so Jamie what's your experience been like of this mystical force when it comes to leadership
1: I think the mystical force you're talking about here is um what we what I hear frequently talked about as the the shadow side right. or shadow work and and I have to admit when I was first um introduced to the idea that maybe this would be helpful for me. It sounded really slightly unnerving. Why is there this sort of slightly secretive sounding um group of people uh suddenly being introduced to me to help me with my own challenges? The stuff that gets in my own way? Why have I not heard about them some other- <laughs> some other place? How come I have not read about it uh through the the work I've been doing for the last two or three decades in big corporate life, in developmental work, transformational work. Um, But what I discovered was uh, something which for me has been personally rather exceptional as a breakthrough. Um, uh, I am now working with a shadow work coach. And um, her name is Nicola Kirk. She is one of the most delightful people I've ever had the the, the privilege of, of of spending time with. Um, and through an introduction, I, I have now spent three or four sessions with her over the last couple of years, starting during the pandemic, actually, um, just the moment when the restrictions were lifted. I had an opportunity to go and spend some time with her face to face. And what she has been doing with me as a shadow work coach um, is to help me recognize that there aren't just, there's not just one of me, there's there's many parts of me. And those many parts of me play a role in who I am now. But interestingly for me, those parts of me that have played a role in creating who I am now, who have been created during my lifetime for reasons that at the time may have been really important for me to handle the situations I was in. And while I continue to do this kind of work, one of the things that I found extraordinarily eye-opening and also incredibly empowering um, and releasing in many ways um, is working with somebody who understands how to create a safe space in which I can explore that as a concept, as slightly maybe vague as it might sound as I describe it now. has allowed me to look at myself in a very very different way in a way that many of the other techniques and and methods and approaches that i've worked with people over the last few years haven 't ever been able to crack open um, and i and i am eternally grateful for the original introduction um i'm also in awe of the the um capabilities that Nicola brings and other shadow work coaches if they are as good as Nicola or better um and I'm sure there's some kind of uh experiential development that they continue to work through themselves but it's a fascinating method of um looking at yourself real time and understanding how you can be your both best friend worst friend get in your own way and help yourself Um, as you start to go through your own growth journey.
0: Wow. Sounds like it's had a profound impact. Derry.
2: Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Jamie. It's really interesting to hear uh, that side of your experience that I wasn't particularly aware of. For me, this concept of shadow is uh, intimately related to the broader kind of concept of self-awareness that we've been talking about as leaders and how crucially important it is to work on your self-awareness. And self-awareness is, it's a term we can throw around, but for me, it's about this awareness of how do I show up and how do I react to certain experiences? And what does that do to influence my behaviours? And then how does that go on to impact others? And we've talked on previous episodes about gathering data and really the shadow work concept for me is about gathering data. Um, I'm, so Jamie, I'm delighted to hear about you working with Nicola. Um, I, uh, I know Nicola's husband, John, who co-leads that organisation, John's a leader on the Mankind Project, um, and it's just there's a lot of shadow work that gets involved with that work as well for for men that are wanting to turn to get some self awareness and show up differently in the world. I wonder, Graham, is it helpful to talk a bit about the, some of the definitions that? Sit yeah, I was going to
0: say, like I've not really heard of it much. I've, like the name, I've heard of. But as you see by me describing it as a mystical force, it, I'm really keen to learn more about what this thing actually is. Sounds like you've got quite a bit of experience in it yourself, Derry. So
2: the floor is yours. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I will caveat by saying I'm not a shadow work coach. Um, as uh, It is on my list to go through the training at some point in the next couple of years, um, but I'm not currently a shadow work coach. But I have had a reasonable amount of exposure through staffing the Mankind Weekend and uh, working in various men's groups where we use this, concept a lot so to start with a definition like the the definition of shadow is the parts of us that we hide repress and deny if for those of you who are familiar with the jihari window when it comes to psychology it's it's a two by two appeals to me as a consultant you know we love a two by two where you look at the dimensions of things that are known to self and things that are known to others and the bits that are known to self and known to others is your the bit that you put out in the world, but the bits that are unknown to self are the bits that sit in shadow. So this isn't about hiding, repressing, and denying stuff that you're aware of that you want to hide from the world. This is things that you hide, repress, and deny from yourself. And the way that these show up is when you get some kind of stimulus, some kind of interaction with somebody happens, and it triggers you into a behavior that you were surprised at or to feelings that you were surprised at. And the work that we do in my men's work, for example, is to, we talk about trying to grab hold of a piece of the shadow, trying to figure out what is it that's going on for me? And the way that I think about that most clearly is to think about the shadow as the unconscious beliefs that I hold. And what do I really deep down inside believe to be true about myself not do i what what do i want to be true but what do i believe to be true so i I give a real example of that i i'm particularly sensitive to criticism to perceived criticism you know my my ego and my self-worth is is fairly fragile from that point of view so when i get criticized it triggers a lot of fear in me and that fear is not really related to yeah. the interaction i'm having in that moment when i separate out the data of a somebody i i like let's let's make this really real i send out cold emails because i'm trying to build my training business so and there are people out there that i believe would benefit from my training and because i follow good practice when i send out these cold emails i include an unsubscribe link and when somebody unsubscribes that triggers a sense of rejection and criticism in me. The cold data is somebody got an email, they didn't deem it to be valuable, and they've clicked the unsubscribe link and they probably thought no more about it. My, If I don't process it through properly, my belief about myself is that they are angry with me for sending the email, that they think I'm spamming them, that they're critical of me, and that they're going to take steps to express that anger in some way that's going to harm me none of which is truth. But the shadow piece that sits there is, okay, I've received this bit of criticism, this bit of rejection. And I dig down into that to think, what what is it at the real core that I believe to be true about myself in there? And when you really dig down through those layers, you get to really painful beliefs, like I am worthless. I am not worthy of being liked. People don't like me. You know, pain, painful foundational beliefs like that. And Jamie, to your point of like, these are things that have been put into me at some point in my life experience. And my parts of me have evolved to protect me from those feelings because they were really painful at that time. And so I have these overactive barriers that come up to protect me from those feelings. I don't need those barriers anymore but you can't just turn them on and off at will. You have to really consciously be aware of them, thank them for trying to help you and put them to one side so that you can work through these feelings in a different way. So the essence of shadow work for me is identifying when something like that crops up, which is objectively irrational, objectively not rational for what's happening in that moment and figuring out, why is it I'm reacting like that? How am I allowing that to impact my behaviours? And do I want to let that impact my behaviours in that way? And if you can grab hold a bit of that, a bit of that shadow, it'll really amplify your self awareness. So there's various processes and things that we use to help people work through that and work out why what is the root call? Why might they have taken on those beliefs about themselves?
1: So, and Derry, when you talk about grabbing on a little bit of the shadow, it's sort of almost like saying, become a little bit aware of the thread in the jumper that needs a little bit of a tug. And in doing so, you can start to become aware of the fact that there are all these things that you're hiding from yourself, whether or not you go through the processes I've been through, um, which is to really kind of open out what's in the room of those people of different parts of me, but just to go, hey, listen, It's okay. There are parts of you that are there that you may not have been aware of that are starting to influence how you react. So it's that little sort of pull that thread a little bit more.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You can grab hold of a bit of that thread and start to pull it out and go, hold on, what is it? Is it reasonable that I'm kind of feeling like this based on what's happened or is there something else that's going on? There's nothing to do with my relationship with this person who's sent me an email or spoken to me with a certain tone of voice or even looked at me you know all these things that can trigger us back into a a regressed state um if you're not switched on to those and you're not aware of those you don't really know what's causing it and you, you therefore can't control it effectively in the future all right that makes a bit more sense
0: uh, Jamie, you, you, you shared earlier on that you've, you've got some experience with this. Is there, is there kind of a practical way or an experience you've had with this that's really helped you because you've been doing this work that you might be able to share? So we've got a little bit of meat to what Derry's just sort of shared.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't want to go into a sort of trans, yeah, a transposition of exactly how I've done some work yeah. with Nicola. But, yeah, but um, how's it
0: helped you? Okay, let's answer that. Have, how's, so it, how's, it how, helped, how's it helped you? doing
1: this um i think there's probably a couple of things that really i i find day to day it's helped me with um it's helped me learn a little bit more compassion for myself um i was probably my worst critic my biggest enemy um and you know derry mentioned the the idea that um ego fragility and so on and so forth based on validation from others or feedback from others um that's something that throughout my entire life like many other people um but i'm conscious very very intimately aware of it that i've been highly sensitive to um whether i be at school through my teenage years to my early um you know working career all the way through even to where i am today it hasn't necessarily gone away i've become more aware of it I've been more aware of it now as a consequence of perhaps just recognizing that it's it represents a part of me that wants to feel validated. And that part of me will probably never go away. Um, and I now feel compassion for that part of me. That part of me wants to be loved, wants to be validated, wants to feel the adulation, the applause, the whatever it might be. But if that part of me takes center stage all the time and dominates how I react to every given situation, guess what? It's going to be a pain in the backside to be around Jamie Garner. So I've just got to go, hey, that part of me. You serve a role in my life, which is to make sure you stay in touch with what other people think and how they react to what I do. But don't take center stage. You don't need to be there. It's just good that you're around to make sure I don't forget to pay attention to how other people think about what I'm doing. Now, I'm compassionate about that. um, And that part of me was there for a very good reason during my teenage years um, in the exploration I've done. um, It came about as as a way of protecting me, actually, from a situation that I was growing up with. So there's been that side of it, which is... How do, how do I become more compassionate to myself about how I might react in certain situations? Another thing um, I think that I think has been incredibly useful is just in noticing that um, in me, there are multiple parts. So therefore, in others, there are likely to be multiple parts as well. So that compassion for me in, in certain situations has extended to recognizing and therefore not you know, becoming even perhaps less judgmental of what what people might be showing up as and where they might be coming from in a given situation
2: Has that it's enabled a... you to sit with more empathy for people when even if they react in a way that is hostile or aggressive or whatever to something that you're talking about or, or critical etc, that you're able to extend empathy to them without carrying it on your own shoulders and getting triggered yourself
1: more it's partly yeah i wouldn't necessarily use i wouldn't necessarily have used the word empathy because in some situations what i'm not feeling is what they're feeling what i am however more compassionate about is that they may be coming from a place that i need to be curious about and and whether i then feel what they feel or want to feel what they feel that's my choice um but I just don't understand in those situations. And therefore, there's a curiosity that I now start to be more comfortable feeling and actually more naturally feeling rather than judgmental. And I and, know and in the past, in a real driving situation, just got to get a job done, got to achieve the goals. We've got little time, little whatever it might be. Somebody shows up in a particular kind of way. If it gets in the way of the goal, if it gets away of my goal particularly, it would have been a case of right, how do I win? How do I get this out my way rather than stopping, listening, and having a moment to recognize this is coming from somewhere. This person may or may not be aware of why this is happening, because I now recognize in me that sometimes in those pressurized situations, particularly, part of what was showing up wasn't something I was naturally conscious of or fully aware of that might influence how I showed up so that's been the really the two big things so there's a real compassion for myself just don't beat myself up all the time about how I'm behaving even though I've got to recognize I've got to continue doing a lot of work but also then just being a little bit more um, patient uh, and uh, more curious about where where other people are coming from
2: it sounds to me like if we if we think about this in uh, conscious leadership language of being above or below the line, mm-hmm. um, and for those who are not familiar with the fifteen commitments of conscious leadership, uh, there's this fun foundational framework they have of if you are below the line, you're unconscious. If you're if you can shift above the line, then you are thinking consciously and uh, in a way that enables you to be a more effective leader. Mm-hmm. Jamie, what I'm hearing from you is that this technique has enabled you has given you a tool to enable you to in some certain circumstances shift from below the line to above the line and be more conscious about what's going on for those rounds is that fair
1: I, uh, I, I, undoubtedly undoubtedly and it's been it's been that as you describe it it's been that additional technique or tool or reminder of how to shift in the moment um what am i noticing about myself How do I therefore recognise how I might be reacting with other people and what might be going on for them? How do I move away from being right, being closed off, to being curious? And and actually creating time, creating time and space for us to explore something in a more productive and constructive, constructive fashion. There's another interesting angle
2: on this, actually, which is often... I end up framing this stuff in the context of difficult emotions. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling scared. I'm, I'm struggling to connect with somebody. Shadow can also show up in positive emotions. Same so more, this, same p- more. so this point that Jamie had about um, external validation, for example. So when I uh, when I'm leading teams, I get a real kind of positive buzz out of. Positive feedback and them liking me as a leader, that is that is shadow. That that desire for my teams to like me is shadow, because that's playing to my own need for external validation. The same need that gets punched in the face when I get criticised is getting uh is getting lifted up in an unhealthy way when I get praised, because it's still it's still external validation. It's just the positive spin on that. And it can be just as dangerous. So when you're out there chasing you know, the social media trends where you're chasing likes and comments and whatever else, that external validation, that's all shadow. And that can show up as a leader in some really un- unhealthy behaviors if you want your team to like you. And I've fallen into that trap multiple times and it's ended up crushing me at, at times and being bad for business. Prevented me from giving clear feedback to people that I thought might upset them, but it's stuff that they needed to know. (laughs) So it's important not to just think of this shadow as negative emotions and dysfunctional relationships with people, but it it can be stuff that feels good in the moment, but isn't serving your leadership in the longer term as well. What,
0: What other roles do you chaps think that then that this concept of shadow can play? In, in a leader's development or a
2: leader's journey yeah for me the, we've talked a lot about like, how we identify what's going on I think it's also really powerful for finding a path out of there um, right. so you know, Jamie is talking about the different parts of himself and the different parts of other people actually when you get quite sophisticated with this, you can really identify and characterize those different parts. Um, and in Mankind Project work, we talk about archetypes and the ways that those show up in you. And you can actually tap into those archetypes and say, you know, I've got, I've got a warrior archetype and my warrior is the part of me that wants to defend when my boundaries are being crossed. It's what drives anger and can be used for clean anger or could tip into rage, et cetera. My warrior can be kind of overactive as part of me. And if I've got an overactive warrior, then I'm picking too many fights and I'm slipping into rage and I'm breaking relationships that don't need to be broken. But if I can identify that and tap into that part of my shadow, then I can consciously step back from some of those behaviors and behave in a different way and kind of call on my positive, strong, clean warrior to set boundaries when boundaries need to be set, and to say what needs to be said in a way that is done consciously, calmly in the moment, not in a triggered emotional state that's going to damage relationships.
1: Well, what what those? Yeah, what what are the other archetypes, Derry? Remind me. There are because warrior. There's the mystic. Is that right?
2: Uh, well, the the four the four male archetypes that Mankind Project use are warrior, magician. Lover Just- and king um so the king is kind of the overarching uh, guide but it can take many forms that cause problems as well um, the magician is the the idea of that is the part of you that uh, solves problems uh, for very intellectual people um and autistic people like me it's you often have an overactive magician that uh, it, we talk about kind of getting stuck in your head rather than into your heart and your gut and then the lover is all about how you connect with other people and tap into, into grief and sadness. Um, I was great. going to ask, you, you mentioned there the, the male archetypes.
0: And it, there's a feeling I've got here that we've leaned very highly on the male side of this shadow piece. Is yeah. Where does it play for all genders? So females and everyone. Where, where does shadow shut? Is there a difference? Is there a similarity? Is it
2: exactly the same? Tell us about um, my- there are, I think, there are probably more similarities than differences. Um, I haven't studied the use of shadow work in women at all, so I'm I'm spitballing here. So I'm <laughs> not. This is not coming from experience, etc. Other than uh, several women I've spoken to who have done similar types of work, the foundational concepts of shadow of these pieces of you that have come from past experiences that were there to protect you in a certain way and are now showing up in a way that's not helpful. I can't see any reason why that is going to be different for like, the, the, that's not a male yeah. a male it's specific. not gender specific. The other it... that I think could be slightly different is the articulation of those archetypes. But mm-hmm. I honestly, I, I don't know. It's something that I need to learn more about. Yeah, same here. Like, like learning
0: just from you guys, listening to all of this is great. But just noticing that straight away, I've got that real appetite now to just go and learn across across the whole gender spectrum, because it feels like yeah the principle is the same, but the the language and the architecture behind it is could have different facets that I think are very are very specific and very important to pay attention to as well.
1: Yeah, in my personal experience, I didn't I didn't really ever touch too much on the archetypes. I was I was made aware of them. Um, but the experience was very much about my own journey of discovery into the parts of myself but I think it would be really fascinating to get somebody like maybe if Nicola would be interested or we could get somebody else to come in and talk to us in future um, certainly if the, um, uh, the folks who listen to this would be interested get somebody to, to talk about what are the range of um, different particularly gender approaches that might be relevant in the, in the shadow world work or the shadow work world because um, from my own personal experience, um, there was never really a gender-specific uh, relevance to any of the the exploration or even the frameworks that um, I I, I, st- I started to experience And so yeah This is this is part of the audience now um, commenting on my you know, my appreciation of the shadow work, um, and it might it might even be part of me. That's just started to shout out in the background about what I was just saying. Um, But I think the the, the experience I had um, is something which really gives anybody an opportunity. And this is, I mean, when you talked about, you know, the application to leaders. um, The feeling I got when I started doing the shadow work was it didn't really matter whether I was a leader or not. This was something as a human being at this point in my life that was really helpful. Um, we've touched on that golden age, the 25 to 40. Um, um, is is awareness of shadow something that um, might be helpful? I don't know. This would be maybe something we could talk about now. Um, but I got to the point where I'd already collected a lot of the data. I was post 40. I recognized I wasn't making sense of the world and I was looking for reasons or help to try and make more sense of what was going on. And this became a very powerful way of doing it. So um, I think there's definitely something which is, it goes beyond leadership. This is something about being a human as you're growing, as somebody who particularly wants to grow, that is an incredibly helpful way of doing it. I mean, Derry, I mean, from your perspective, do you think this has any particular relevance by age group? Is this something that you could start earlier in life, become more aware of, do you think?
2: Oh, definitely. uh, You can definitely start it earlier in life. I think people don't because then they're not in situations that are pressured enough to feel the need for it often. I actually think one of the big uh, triggers for people to start this kind of exploration is often becoming a parent. And when you're becoming a parent, you then start to make all kinds of decisions about the type of parent you want to be and how you want to raise your children and naturally what you do is you go to the only actual example you've got which is your own childhood and you start thinking okay do I want to do what they did or do I want to do something different and when you start to go hold on a minute there's bits here that I want to do differently you start to identify some of these pieces that have been left with you and you start to say okay if I want to do things differently why is that and what have I been left with and how how can I how is that impacting me now and how can I show up so i think there are certain points in people's lives where they naturally start to ask these types of questions whether that's as a human or as a leader and we've talked before about the different stages of leadership where you can step into leadership or you can have leadership thrust upon you for people that have leadership thrust upon them they're less likely to start asking these questions positively It's really important, I think, that for people to start doing this type of work, that they are in a place where they are able to be really curious and really open to some fundamental shifts in how they believe themselves in the world. If you don't have that curiosity, I've seen this a few times where people have stepped into this work where they're not really ready. They've been pushed into it for some reason they're not really ready to do it. And the barriers come up. All of the the defense mechanisms and the walls that we are all extremely adept at throwing out just come up and they're not able to receive the value from thinking in this way. If you're ready to be really curious, and you know, I, I referenced some pretty painful shadow truths about myself earlier, right? Like deep down inside of me, I have a shadow belief that I am unlovable. Hmm. That's a pretty hard thing to step into and speak out loud for the first time. And not everybody is ready to go that deep. And you can get benefit from this without going that deep, but it's that mindset of, can I really crack open the facade that I put out into the world and try and see what's really going on for me? And if you can do that at 25, then you will get huge benefits from this. Everybody I know that has started doing this type of work, the one universal thing is they wish they'd started earlier. Not that they regret their experiences and they, they accept all of that and all as part of them, but everybody I wish I, I wish I'd known about this earlier and started earlier. But I know for me, at 25, I was nowhere near ready to
0: step. in. Well into I was going to say, what's coming up for me listening to you both? It's one thing to say I wish you could have started earlier, but I also, from you know the empirical evidence of what I've experienced and plus the scientific evidence you know, we've talked about 25 to 40 being a golden age. And I wonder whether we've hit upon a really critical part of what it takes to become a leader is that piece that actually understands there's something that is getting in my way. My shadow is playing a part of how I show up. I've got to be ready to understand that before I can work with it. Because otherwise, like you say, just barriers come up, defensive things, you protect yourself you deny the real truth i see that a lot of that behavior and i wonder whether although people might have liked to have started it earlier the journey that they've been on to the point that they start is critical in then catalyzing their journey forwards as a result because you need that experience in order to be able to develop a shadow uh, that, that's what I find myself being left with as you boys speak and, and share some wonderful truths and experiences of what you've had. I sit there and think there is certain experience required in order for you to tap into the benefits of exploring that experience.
1: And it may and not be f- that, it, yeah, it may not be just the benefits of exploring shadow work. It could be the benefits of exploring other forms of personal growth and development support you can get, which is the point at which um, you go, okay something's getting in my way here yeah. and and i've looked around me and i can't see anybody else who's in my way <laughs> therefore is it me
0: like some of the keyword kind of for me as you spoke as both of you spoke sorry was this idea we talked about you talked about the conscious leadership theory. and you can read that book and apply it very skillfully as to what's going on. It's written in such a way that makes it very practical to just recognize this is what I'm doing. This is what I'd like to do. I'll make a choice to step up off the line. And for me, that really leans on that horizontal aspect of leadership that we talked about. What it feels like, the shadow piece really then accelerates that into the vertical. And starting to really look at that piece that's behind the scenes of how you show up as a leader. And this feels like a really nice example of where those two vertical and horizontal development pieces actually can start showing up for people.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I do just want to go back to yeah, sure. the point around gathering, g- gathering data and kind of acquiring a shadow. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of these defense mechanisms that are instilled in our brains happen way before the age of 25. Like this is almost always about childhood experiences, often described as childhood trauma. I think trauma is a difficult word for people to use in this context. But really what that I means is, as, as children, what we need is unconditional love from our parents, which is a, a ridiculously high bar. It's, imp- it's an impossible bar for parents to hit. We cannot, 100% of the time, act in a way that is showing unconditional love to our kids. And I don't, I'm not even sure we would want to, even if we could, in, in the goal of raising our children to be... Where we want them to be, so that naturally leaves some level of damage that everybody carries around with, them. and that is the essence of what the shadow is. So that shadow is established really early in life, um, way before the age of twenty-five for most. Not that you could you could have trauma after the age of twenty-five that was difficult for you to deal with, absolutely. But for most people, it happens before that age. What is really important is in order to relate to the shadow work and and be able to say, "Yes, this is meaningful to me is ha- is being able to find examples where you have that light bulb moment where you go, "Oh yeah, that happened, that happened, and I behave like that. and I wonder if that's part of the same thread that I'm identifying through my life of this recurring pattern of behavior. That i'd never connected before but now it actually all makes sense because i have this painful belief about myself that is causing me to behave in that way multiple times and if you don't have that many data points it's much harder to draw that thread out and really believe this stuff enough that you're going to go okay i'm going to do the work to change it if that makes sense
1: yeah i think there's, there's some real resonance with that which is um one or two data points as opposed to a pattern yeah. is 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 perhaps a tipping point if you've only had one or two moments you can always put those off to circumstances but if you've got a pattern emerging yeah. then you might start asking different questions um yeah. if you get to a point where you hit a a brick wall or a barrier or a hurdle um i think there's um a, an expression and i always forget what the name um of the person who coined the phrase yeah which is actually, although you've mentioned trauma in terms of childhood trauma, Derry, um, what often is described as being a point where adults can suddenly become receptive to, opening up to understanding that developmental growth is a is a path they need to perhaps explore with help, is this disorienting dilemma uh, stage. And I will remember at some point, and I'll post in the chat at some point, the name of the person who coined that phrase. Yeah. And it's a moment where you experience an inability to move beyond a situation, having tried everything that you've ever learned and ever been told could work in the situation to the point where you're lost. You've now run out of ideas and suddenly you go, I now need help which ironically enough, neuroscientifically, is probably at a low point. Often it's associated with traumatic events and so on and so forth, uh, divorces, deaths in the family, um, tragedies of some sort or another, which neuroscientifically tends to shut down the receptivity to learning, but actually it's a point at which learning is likely to most be possible in terms of I'm now ready to open up to uh, support in terms of growth. Um, and that's the point at which then something something like shadow, I think, would be um, an all, a bit of an olive branch. Help you understand why this might have occurred, what patterns may have led to this moment. But, but by the way, not to judge you for it, it's just this has been part of what you've already always had.
2: Yeah, one of my, one of the
1: many phrases
2: that my therapist used, which stuck with me, was uh, sometimes you have to break down before you can break through. which summarizes that disorienting dilemma perfectly I think that sometimes you have to get to rock bottom to gather enough data to think okay I need I have to find another way out of this I have to go in a different direction or I'm not going to survive can be quite painful to get to that point but sometimes that's the that's the kind of trigger point I think most leaders day to day don't need to go that deep don't need to don't need to have that level of uh, Mm. difficulty. Um, But if they are finding that they're getting to a place where they're trying to make things happen in the organizations with the people that they're working with that is just not working, then it often can really pay to look in the mirror and ask, "What, what could I do differently? What could I do radically differently? And why am I behaving in the way I'm behaving? And this shadow work really just gives a toolkit to try and figure that stuff out. People need help to work through it. It's hard to do shadow work on your own, but people, once they once you get into doing it, you can develop the skill to sit with a situation that you find and process through what might be going on for you.
1: Cool.
0: Chaps, thanks for enlightening me. Um, it's great to appreciate how you've benefited from that in your worlds but also how you've seen others and how it could relate to this thing of leadership. Thanks for your time today. find any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you